This episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Drew O'Grizzik, and we're here with Annie No of several things, but today to talk a lot about QUP, I think, and maybe about Startup League. Annie, welcome to the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Drew. I'm stoked to be here. Well, awesome. Yeah, we're really happy to have you on. Why don't you tell us a little bit? Um, you've actually been on the show before. It's uh, a number of years ago now. I can't believe it. Um, but uh, what's been going on with you since then? It's been a while. And tell us a little bit about QUP. You're spot on. It's been about three and a half years. Wow. Yeah, since I've been on the show. And at that time, we were talking about ProtoHack. Uh, for many of the uh, members of the Vancouver startup community and ecosystem, uh, ProtoHack has been an educational uh, experience, <laughs> has been a, a very a very big part of many entrepreneurial journeys. At that time, we were hosting code-free hackathons for the non-technical entrepreneur like myself, really for anybody who aspired to be a part of tech and innovation but didn't have the hard skills or the you know, comp sci or engineering degree to do so. And uh, it actually was a function of producing these innovation challenges all over the world from New York to New Delhi, Sao Paulo to San Francisco, working with tens of thousands of aspiring entrepreneurs um, and students as young as 11 that we got to really understand that there was a bigger problem we wanted to solve in this world. Um, that experience created the momentum for what would now be Startup League and uh, through Startup League, queue up. So yeah, many things, but all a part of the same story. Oh, very cool. So it all sort of uh, um, comes together in uh, queue up and in Startup League. I remember at the time talking about ProtoHack, we also spoke a little bit about, you know, what is a prototype and mm -hmm. um, why it made sense to actually focus on getting a prototype, a non-technical prototype um, mock-up and presentation, as opposed to, you know, starting with the code first, uh, like traditional hackathons tend to do. Um, and I thought that, that was really cool. And so I've been very interested to follow your progress. And now with, uh, with QUP and, and with Startup League, it seems like you're very interested in the, the startup space and also in just really spreading the word and bringing access to things like education right. and things like uh, economic means to would-be startup founders. Right, absolutely. So it's it's interesting because uh, this was definitely not the trajectory, the career trajectory that I had anticipated when I graduated. What university. did you have anticipated? Yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about this before the podcast, but yeah, I aspired to be a politician. Like I really wanted to be a part of government in some capacity. That's why I went to UBC, graduated from poli-sci, went to law school at U of T, dropped out, and uh, instead decided to explore this world of entrepreneurship. And so the, the passion for entrepreneurship starts there. And uh, I knew that this is what I wanted to do when uh, I went into, uh, yeah, I went into San Francisco, like really bright eyed, you know, aspiring to also be like the next tech entrepreneur. Like I think the Facebook movie had just come out at that time. So we were all really marveled by, by the, the prospect of that that career, right? And uh, coming or encountering so many talented engineers and developers who would spend 
tens of hours over the course of a hackathon or sometimes hundreds of hours over the course of their like part-time careers to build something that nobody wants or nobody uses. I mean, if you go in the app store right now, I may have used this like example in a previous conversation. Um, but yeah, if you go in the app store right this minute and, and iTunes, there's probably a million apps that have been downloaded less than 10 times. And that's just a function of not spending the time to identify what problem in the world that they wanted to solve and who they're, pro- who they're problem solving for. I wonder if any of that might also have to do with, say, marketing and, you know, just actually getting over that sort of initial, um, I forget what the term is, but that sort of stage of adoption where um, that critical mass, I think it's called. But yeah, I I often marvel at this. And sometimes you hear about products that came out that solved problems better Mm -hmm. than later products did, um, but somehow just didn't take off. And there's, it seems like there's this... uh, some secret formula. I don't know if there there is or not. Maybe you have some better insight into that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I couldn't agree more that success really is about a number of things. Timing is included in that. I wish that I knew what that magical formula was, but I think at least for us, I can speak for our team, um, taking the time to build ProtoHack to really work d- directly with these entrepreneurs allowed us to have this insight that is that that has created the confidence that we have in what we're building today. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't think we've got a chance to talk about it just yet. But yeah, with Startup League, uh, what we're trying to really solve here is the problem of opportunity. Um, I grew up in East Vancouver in a community full of immigrants and refugees. I myself am, am an immigrant and refugee. Um, and access to things that were really meaningful uh, in our education, like after-school programs, like uh, field trips, like extracurricular activities, like all of those things came at a really, really challenging cost, right? And the only way we'd be able to afford it is if we fundraised. And uh, as a function, uh, bake sales and car washes sort of became like a part of my lifestyle. <laughs> um that wasn't always the most successful. And interestingly enough, like in that experience itself, like you learn to be very entrepreneurial and solve tons of problems. Um, When you're competing in team sports, like you are working in a team environment. So learning in these ways are so, so, so critical to not only the, the student's experience, but also like their educational value. And I think promoting that and empowering students with more of those opportunities is what we want to do here, uh, except we want to do it better. Yeah, so. That's pretty interesting. So a lot of the things that you were talking about, you talked about, you know, uh, bake sales, car washes, team sports, Mm -hmm. uh, and and all of them, um, well, I'm not... I'm not so sure how much the bake sales and car washes have competition, but maybe a little (laughs) bit. There might be some competition here. But all of these sort of talk... uh, they represent teams. Right. And and that's something that's pretty interesting. So when you think about a startup, like what what is a startup and is that a team? Is that really a team effort? Uh, 100 million, trillion, billion percent. Like I, I, it's funny. So side note, like that's not proper math, but 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's like a quote that I butcher all of the time, but it comes down to like, if you want to go fast, you go it alone. If you want to go far, you go with the team. And a startup is this, uh, it's a competitive sport. It's a team competitive sport, right? Like You sort of look at it like you're going into the Olympics, you know, working with 
other members of your team to to be among the best. And I think like we kind of forget that this is like a very difficult, challenging endeavor. Deciding to be an entrepreneur is no joke. Okay, so like sleep hygiene, um, having mental, having great healthy mental health. Um, focusing on like your diet like all of these things like you wouldn't go into a competition like an athletic competition not prepared in this way so yeah I think being an entrepreneur having a startup is 100% a team effort uh, if you want to do it well if you want to succeed for the long term and uh, and it's it's something that should be looked at as if uh, it's a competition. It sounds like you'd uh, definitely be expecting a lot from yourself. I mean, the preparedness, whether that's mental, physical, uh, all sorts of things, spiritual, perhaps. Uh, what about from other team members? What do you look for in people when you think, you know, if I'm doing a startup, what type of people might I want on my team? Right. Okay. This is a fantastic question because I I don't think I, I knew what that was when I we started. Um, so it's sort of evolved from the beginning to what is now 12 months later that we've had this founding team of three. Uh, in the beginning, it was really just about who I respected and who shared my values. So at the end of the day, um, with entrepreneurship, building a company, or even working for a company, I think like having fulfillment in your career um, fundamentally comes back down to a why, right? Like really cheesy about this. I talk about this all the time. I feel like Simon Sinek will be the death of me, but (laughs) like the power of why, you know, if there's anything that's going to get you up in the morning, keep you up at night, um, allow you to sleep at night also is something I'm throwing into that is your why. Being able to articulate that to others is something I'm working on every day to to better my communication of what that why is because I know exactly what that is and finding people who align with that why and share that mission and that mandate with you. Coming back to that for a moment, I don't want to get too sidetracked with this, but um, do you ever lose sight of what that why is? And what do you do if you do? Right. So, yes, um, I think it's like a, a human, it's a human thing to lose sight of it. Um, it's, it's been so core to my existence because my career has been so integral to my identity. It's um, it's interesting we're talking about this now because I started seeing a therapist about this. Yeah, like for, for a wonderful thing. Like it's been a wonderful experience. So it's like not a... I, I've seen some interesting quotes on Twitter about, you know, um, boomers saying therapist in a hushed breath. Whereas, yeah. you know, these days people are like, of course, you know, you go, to, yeah. go to a therapist. That's I a mean, pretty normal thing. It's part of your daily health. Like, right. you know, you go to a doctor for your, your physical health. Right. Why wouldn't you go to a doctor for your mental or spiritual health? Exactly. So this is like emotional health, right? And I... I intentionally didn't go to a business coach or to a life coach. I went to a therapist. Um, but, yeah, we talk about this a little bit and how how much my identity is, like, embedded into my career and success. Um, we're working on moving that pendulum or swinging that pendulum from success to significance, really just having significance in this world and not tying all of my individual milestones in my career to my worth. But and, and it's Why? That, <laughs> Why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Because it's very superficial. So she actually talked about this. Um, I'm, again, totally going to wreck what she said. <laughs> you know, she's. But in any case, my therapist put it really uh, in a way that I can understand. So in two columns, there's success and there's significance, right? In the world today, success is uh, money, power, and influence. And under 
under the category of significance. It's about service, relationships, and I think it's generosity. Yeah. And when I think about how I want to leave this world at some point, or the mark I want to make on this world, the everyday interactions that I have with you, like what, what of those two categories do I really want my, my shadow to be of? And that's significance. So I can now put that impact into my everyday life in, you know, fun conversations like this, in, uh, you know, the moments that I spend with my family having dinner. Um, And so the weight of my work and the weight of success in my work doesn't feel so uh, debilitating. You know, it's not it's not a measure of who I am and a measure of um, what I'm what I'm worth effectively. Yeah. I think that's so important for most entrepreneurs. I wish that my therapist could could talk to all entrepreneurs about this. And so hopefully I'm like the voice. If this is a, yeah, hopefully she's like, okay. <laughs> I don't even know if we're like breaking rules right now. Uh, but what's new, right? Um, I think you're allowed to talk about what you've talked talk about, about but she can't. Okay. Like, <laughs> as far as I know, but I could be wrong. Like, don't take my, my word there. Right, right. So Okay, so let's come back to the, um, so that comes back to, you know, choosing who you want to work mm-hmm. with and who you want to have around you right. in a startup. I guess as a team as mm-hmm. well, uh, you don't always get to choose your teammates. So tell me a little bit about that. Oh, I think in a startup you do. Yeah, I think if I'm going to go and leave a job that's well-paying, assuming that's well-paying, <laughs> um, where I get to work with a bunch of people who I can deal with. Like, I'm definitely going to to make a change when I get to build my own startup. Like, it's such a difficult journey and a lifestyle to, to choose that I wouldn't do it if I didn't get to pick who I work with. Yeah, I didn't. Like, we, we get to be the creators of our company. Um, we get to manifest a solution of a problem that we've decided to work on, which is why I, I shared initially it's just about working with people who you really respect and you enjoy being around um, and who sort of fill in the gaps in terms of your practical skills. Uh, so in our team, we have three co-founders, our CTO, who does the things that, you know, neither my COO or I can do. None of us know how to code well. Um, and so he takes on all of the technical challenges that we <laughs> so architecting the technology, um, managing the development team, really, really focusing on the product itself. And and then there's our COO, my first co-founder that we brought on. She's just extraordinary at user acquisition, really at growth, at understanding the data, the 6,000 data points that we had in like Insta games that we ran over the course of a week, you know. So she understands how to build products and marketing strategies. Um, And then there's me who (laughs) does like fun things like this, but really like uh, also is just great at finding money. I think as a CEO, your number one job in a tech company is to never run out of money. Um, And to, I mean, there's a, a boatload of things, a list of things that I do that I think all of us if tasked to we'd figure it out but we respect and rely on one another to fill in those gaps so that we can do the things that we do really well and really focus on learning the things that we don't um so i think oftentimes people are looking for a single data point mm -hmm. or at least a single column to categorize 
roles into. Right. And um, I've, I've often thought of that as well. You know, if we if we think about a CEO, right. their primary responsibility with a company is to keep it funded, uh-huh. however that means. Right? Exactly. Like whether it's you know, exactly. your customers or you've got... Uh, you know, whatever. And I think on the other hand, the CTO, mm-hmm. their primary function is the tech, right? I mean, it's even right. in the name uh, <laughs> to make sure that things are working from a technical point of view, whether that's programming or building the tech team right. or, or, you know, making sure things are secure from a, uh, a tech point of view and so on. Um, now, I'm actually kind of interested as far as a COO, uh-huh. what exactly that is, because right. it seems like that's sort of more of a malleable uh, title that may differ from company to company a lot mm-hmm. more? Yeah, so I totally agree that the COO manifests in different forms depending on the company and sort of like that's what's wonderful about Rex, who's our co-founder and our COO. She is this dynamic person who will take on whatever hat is necessary. But in this particular case, I think she sort of is like a cross between COO, COO and CMO. So like Chief Marketing Officer uh, really leads those efforts in uh, customer success, customer acquisition, um, data about customers to implement into the product so so if you were to say like a single sort of data point or a mm-hmm. primary responsibility it would be onboarding customers it's or growth. customers yeah, growth. Growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. very interesting yeah that sounds super cool so let's come back to how protohack sort of led to uh, or on the path towards startup league which led to queue up and yeah. what exactly queue up is absolutely so with protohack i had shared we were doing innovation challenges all across the world um and so part of that is building out a curriculum that that would allow those entrepreneurs to really exercise the muscles um, that would require of them to build successful companies, right? Um, we actually got really lucky one year and uh, signed on a client, which was Stanford. Yeah, wild to think about. We hosted uh, a hackathon that was code-free for their MBA program, which is really, sorry, w- wild again to think about because you know, whenever I have a hard time with being an entrepreneur, I'm like, I'm going to go back to school. Maybe I'll apply for Stanford. <laughs> but, yeah, well, I mean, uh, as far as, like, the world stage goes, if you yeah. think about an MBA, a Stanford MBA is, right. uh, you know, quite high up. Yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, a wonderful opportunity. But in that experience, we encountered a school of thought called design thinking. Stanford has a school called the D School for Design. And in that, we were at least I can speak for myself, I was just blown away. I was like, wow, this is what innovation really comes down to, right? It's like these core principles and core core educational values of one, empathy, two, synthesis, three, ideation, and then it goes into prototyping and testing, right? So I was trying to wrap my head around, like, what have we been doing with ProtoHack and in understanding that this this model existed, we saw that this entire time, Like, we were focused so much on the ideas. So in a similar vein to what education looks like today, we're focused on outcomes, ideas, and solutions. And I really, really wanted to figure out a way that we could make students, and in this case, aspiring entrepreneurs, really fall in love with the problems themselves, like understanding what that problem is. And I think it came down to uh, an understanding of the necessity of curiosity and empathy. So with that said... um, that experience with ProtoHack really allowed us to see on the inside that this generation that's coming up now with how the economics of the world and the political climate of the world is is working um, is going to be poised to be the most entrepreneurial generation in history. And I don't think that's going to change the generations after and after. Like, I get kind of crazy about this stuff. Why do you think that is? Um, 
because being an entrepreneur is quintessentially about being creative. And I think what makes us human is our unique ability to create and have ideas. Um, that's actually a new thought of mine, but, uh, you know, inspired by many friends and podcasts and whatnot. But yeah, I've always truly believed that entrepreneurship entrepreneurship and that entrepreneurial mindset, which so many schools and so many governments now are really, really advocating and advocating for um, and putting tons of money into comes down to a creative mind, a critical thinking mind, right? And uh, because of automation, artificial intelligence, like I truly believe that's that's going to be our savior is our ability oh, so to you critically... Mean, so you mean that, that that's not going to change going forward, right. as in not that this next generation coming up is going to be the most ever, and after that nobody will surpass right, them, right. but each continuing generation will be even more so. Absolutely. I think that's going to be the trend. I undoubtedly believe that that's going to be the trend. It's quite interesting because I think if we look back over history, we see a lot of the, um, a lot of the things that we probably grew up with uh, that are still somewhat prevalent in society came from... Uh, industrialization and mm-hmm. the idea that you know don't be entrepreneurial right you know go out there well well actually industrialization didn't necessarily lead to that I, I mean I think a lot of places um, a lot of places did encourage some sort of entrepreneurialism even right. within the um, even within the corporate structure right. I think Amazon does this a lot uh, Toyota certainly mm-hmm. um, encouraged managers uh, and team members to experiment and go outside of right. um, think outside of the box to find solutions for for different problems and you know on that mass scale which ended up uh, resulting in some pretty good results over time but mm-hmm. um, yeah, but I think that now we're going from this sort of one classroom where one size fits all sort of mentality, mimicking kind of that industrialization approach Absolutely. Um, to a now we're able to kind of cater more toward the individual's need. And that can be reflected in you know online education, for right. example, and all sorts of other things. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many there's so many data points to 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 attach to this trend. I mean, if we look at. I think there was a recent study on what students aspire to be um, or what their career ambitions are in China and then in the U.S. Okay. And, you know, it's it's interesting because most people look at this. So, so the results of that was uh, the most students, um, I think 12 to 18, aspired to be a YouTube star in yeah, America. Yeah, I saw something like that in Japan as well, but it was mm-hmm. like uh, predominantly the boys right. who were aspiring to be YouTube stars. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah, so I would say like the rise of e-learning, the rise of social media platforms like YouTube, um, the rise of esports. Like there's so many different uh, like external trends that are going on right now that would indicate and we can sort of point back to like this innate and intrinsic desire to create, to build things, right? Like that's sort of what Snapchat allows you to do is like to produce interesting content. YouTube allows you to do is produce interesting content to share with your, uh, you're connecting through sharing, or you're sharing and connecting through creating. And uh, yeah, there's also a recent study done, I think by Nielsen, that that speaks to the interest of students now uh in being their own bosses. So like entrepreneurship is not something that's new for sure. I mean, it's, it's sort of been like the, the foundation of so many societies, like the immigrant, the, for immigrants, like in Vietnam, where I, my family grew up in Hong Kong, like 
that was the bread and butter of the world. And it's interesting because that's what they didn't want for us coming here. So my parents are just not thrilled at all. <laughs> they accept and understand now. But yeah, so I think a roundabout way of saying all of this is, um, or to, to sort of capture the essence of all of this is entrepreneurship is the future. I don't know if like being an entrepreneur itself is the future, um, but instilling those skills that are of an entrepreneur. So critical thinking, creative problem solving, um, being, you know, quick on your feet, having grit, perseverance, like all of these things we can't argue are valuable characteristics, right? And in seeing that, I think what was missing in our education starts with empathy and curiosity. And in understanding that there's this growing interest and a necessity of more entrepreneurial thinking minds in the world, we decided that we're going to build Startup League. So instead of focusing on a company that allowed for the materialization of the, the creation of ideas, we're going to allow for this company to exist, to come from it, um, that focuses on the problem itself. So allowing students to think curiously to be creative and allow them to to really start to repractice those empathy muscles that have been so long forgotten in our education system. So we've said empathy a, a couple of times, and I feel that this is somewhat uh, a misunderstood and, and sometimes misused word. What does empathy mean? Right. So in that context, uh, there's a there's a very clear distinction between empathy and sympathy, right? So um, sympathy is when, Drew, you stub your toe and I feel sorry for you that you stubbed your toe, right? Mm -hmm. And empathy is when you stub your toe and I think about, oh my gosh, I remember when I stubbed my toe. I feel for you. I feel with you. So sometimes, um, and I think this might be a, a good way that I can understand empathy as well. Sometimes um, I want to complain about something. Right. And I say, you know, this sucks. And somebody might say to me, oh, you know what? If you change your attitude, it wouldn't suck so much. <laughs> um, and I, I don't want that. I don't need that. I don't, I'm not looking for a solution to it. I just think this sucks. And I want somebody to say with me, yeah, that sucks. Right. And that's all I need. <laughs> and is that sort of empathy? Yeah. So you're asking them to empathize with you mm -hmm. in that particular case. And um, it's interesting that we're talking about the definition now because when we were running our initial set of tests with uh, a group of schools in California, uh, I went into the classroom and I said, okay, so this is the problem that we're facing today. It's some random problem like, you know, Justin Bieber's in jail. And I asked the students in front of me, like, can you empathize with this? And they looked at me like I was an alien. <laughs> <laughs> so it really came down to language here. And the best way to provide you with an opportunity or a, a real opportunity to, to empathize is to ask you the questions, who cares and why? So Justin Bieber's in jail. Drew, who cares and why? Canadians care because Justin Bieber's Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it may not be a problem to you. I'm assuming you're not a Bieber, a believer. Uh, so, Why would you assume that? <laughs> what, what about me would possibly give that vibe? You know what? I retract yeah. that thought. Uh, we're going to assume you are a believer. Okay. But in, in the case that you aren't, like allowing yourself to ask those questions, like who might care and why would they care, is the easiest and the most efficient way. So this is a, this is actually something interesting. Uh, if we if we sort of um, dissect empathy or empathize, and you you know you said curiosity and empathy are very important right. for entrepreneurship, um, and if we if we sort of dissect that and 
uh, say, okay, well, a part of that empathy or being able to empathize with something is to actually care. Mm-hmm. Um, you could even equate that with sort of compassion or, right. or um, maybe passion itself. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've heard from some people that, you know, advice that maybe, you know, if you're going to do a startup, do something that you're not passionate about that you don't care about because then you'll be able to look at the data and look at the numbers and and go that way whereas it seems like you're saying kind of the opposite you know do something that that does matter to you Mm -hmm. so there's sort of two answers to that the first is uh, about caring itself right i have a personal response um like a visceral one that comes from from me internally that yeah why the hell not do something that you really care about? This is a freaking hard endeavor that we're 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 deciding to do, right? So if you don't give a shit about it, like why why would you bother doing it? You know, I'm not doing it. I mean, as corny and as cheesy or whatever it sounds, like as PC as it sounds, like really, if I was doing this for the money, I'd be doing a thousand other things in the world. You know, um, I think it's about doing something that means means more to you than like the material outcome than the than the superficial stuff so like that's like my personal response to being an entrepreneur starting a company i can understand the lens um that somebody might have on not building something that you're too personally connected to however um when we talk about empathy it's not about actually feeling it like you don't have to care that Justin Bieber is in jail. He's not currently in jail, by the way. Uh, It's a random (laughs) statement we create. Um, But yeah, you don't actually have to care. Uh, It's just that exercise, being able to maybe understand why somebody else might, right? And like, the reason why we dissociate, I think, so much about caring and being able to process and analyze data accurately um, is because for so long in our education system, we've separated the two. You know, like we've removed the question why after first grade, you know, just think about when you're in kindergarten, all you got to do is sort of play and like ask your parents, like, why does this exist? Why does that exist? And at some point they're just, they can't answer your why enough. You know, they've got other things to do. They've got data to process. They've got tasks to complete. They've got a checklist to, to get through. And so as a result, your curiosity is stunted. Your empathy is stunted. And so I think those two things don't need to live independent of one another. And I think if we did a better job in our in in the resources we're providing to our students, like that might not ever have like that statement may not have ever come to be. Very cool. Okay, let's talk a little bit now about what exactly is Startup League. You've right. mentioned students quite a few times, and what is Queue Up. Um, I wanted to jump into a bunch of other things as well. I don't know if we're going to have uh, that much time, but yeah, what what exactly is Startup League? Cool. So Startup League is an educational esports league for students to compete on problem solving and earn real cash. Very cool. So what what. Define students, what type of students, and then how does real cash come into play? So we work exclusively with high school students. You have to be at least 13 years old and still in high school. So, I mean, you could technically be 19 in high school, but (laughs) um, ideally 13 to 18-year-old students. Uh, We work with them uh, one-to-one. So students can register to be a part of the league independently. However, they do require uh, a teacher who's actively in the education system to uh, clarify or to verify that they are in fact a student. Does this have anything to do with financial regulatory laws? It has more to do with data privacy laws. Yeah. So we in Canada and the U.S. have something called COPA, where 
information collected from anybody under the age of 13 requires parental consent. So that makes, you know, building a company a lot more challenging and slow. Um, But in this particular case, like we are hypersensitive to COPA. We do absolutely everything that we can to ensure that data is protected, preserved. The, the, yeah, the dignity of the student's data is all, you know, kosher. <laughs> Very cool. And where does the, uh, where does the 5,000 or up to 5,000 come from? Yeah. Okay. So the league itself exists uh, so that students can compete for a championship in real cash. Um, within the league, as you know, there's like multiple competitive sports leagues that exist in the world today. There's like robotics leagues. There are like, mo- there's Model UN, um, but there's nothing that exists for competitive creative problem solving. And in trying to empower more students to have these skills and to practice these, uh, to exercise these muscles of curiosity and empathy, we built a game, a game that you compete on within the league. And that game is QUP. Uh, QUP tests the students' curiosity and empathy. Uh, it's a daily game that plays less than three minutes, uh, Monday to Friday. And students compete uh, individually or in teams of up to four. Uh, They submit a response like you did to a unique problem statement each day. So today might be about Justin Bieber. Tomorrow might be about the president getting lost (laughs) Uh, or Nicki Minaj retiring, which is a real thing, apparently. And uh, yeah, so every student submits their response um, within their teams. If they're playing within a team, they pick their best answer to go towards a public vote. Then every single player that day gets their own set of responses that they vote on. And uh, the answer with the best uh, or the most amount of votes or, like, technically the best answer will receive anywhere between $5 to $5,000 in cash prizes that comes from brands. So, sorry, you, you said this was something there, – there was nothing else, no other competitive creative problem solving? Is right, that what you, you right. called it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I immediately thought about chess as Ooh. an example as a competitive creative problem solving right. in a way in that, you know, chess, there's this finite – uh, number of moves, but it's actually quite complex, the, the mm-hmm. sort of the order the, in, in which you can do things. And I thought, you know, actually in the real world, something that I've often thought is um, nobody really creates anything. Mm-hmm. We rather discover combinations of things that can be done given the right. variables at the time. If the universe is finite, then so are the moves or the number of moves. Mm-hmm. It's just a much more complex, maybe infinitely more complex problem or a set of problems than even chess, which is still already quite complex. Right. And I thought that that's kind of interesting. So you're giving these problems that are, in this case, maybe catered to uh, social or pop culture mm-hmm. that might be relevant to students at the time or were aiming to be. And then they come up with these the ways to solve, creatively solve these problems. Mm-hmm. But are they actually coming up with them or are they discovering them? You know, And I think that's oh, a that's really a interesting question. thing. Is it, is it creativity or is it discovery? Right. I think it's a combination of both. Right. Um, I, I always go back to, like, my existential discussions with my friends in this. Like, uh, one of my girlfriends has this fear that she'll never have her own uh, creative thought. Like, she'll never she'll never be the originator of her own thoughts because it's just, like, a combination of, like, the world right. around can, you, right? Can you create something that doesn't exist? Right. Can, can you discover something that doesn't exist? So the challenge, the challenge I'm going to pose is that we don't work on creating Right, this minute. Um, the game itself, queue up allows students to work on the foundations of what will uh, be developed into cr- that creative process, right? And I truly believe that, like, that starts with understanding problems. That, under- that starts with curiosity and empathy. And uh, once we have those in place, those building blocks in place, like, they will be able to create original thought 
I really do believe that. So, like, in that process, it, it, to answer the question, it's a combination of both, yeah, discovery and and creation. <laughs> Very cool. So if I want to know more about Startup League or about QUA, uh, what are some ways I can do so? Yeah. So with Startup League, schools can register to be um, among a part of the league. Our teams can register now on startupleague.io. Um, if you want to just register to play the game and check out the app when it gets launched, it's playqup.com. I'm on Instagram at AnniePlaysQUP. Uh, that's A N N E E. Plays Q up, P- yeah, you know how to spell plays Q up. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll put a link below. Uh, now, here's an interesting question. So, let's say I'm a um, I'm a student, a high school student, or the parent of a high school student. What would I need to get involved or to set up my own league? Yeah, yeah. All you have to do is register on the team or on our website, startupleague.io. Um, we would require that there are students who are going to compete on the league with your uh, with that team that you're you're setting up. And I think that's it. It's a pretty easy, like, low barrier to entry that we've created. <laughs> Sounds very cool. Okay, well, uh, Annie No of Startup League, QUP, and formerly of ProtoHack, thank you very much for being on this episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.